You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. We're in a series entitled Elijah. We are actually going through uh, his life, and uh, we've been going through uh, 1 Kings, and hopefully you've been reading through the book of 1 Kings. If you haven't, uh, if, if, if you're not, or if you need some help, uh, go to uh, foothillschurch.com slash Elijah. You can get the reading guide and uh, begin to catch up with us. Um, uh, we've got uh, one more week. Uh, next week, we're going to kind of conclude uh, his life and his story. But we've been looking at phases of his life and different things that he dealt with. And we first looked at the comfort zone and uh, how we have to get out of our comfort zone in order to grow. And we saw how God really, really challenged him and grew him uh, in, a, in a town called Kareth and how, you know, God provided for him, taught him how to trust uh, God and, and, and really grew him. And so as a leader and as a follower of Christ, you know, God's going to take us out of our comfort zone to uh, allow us to experience and, and, and really begin to trust him. And, and he grows us in that as well. And so that was huge. And then last week we looked at the neutral zone and not so much for Elijah, but for the people of Israel. And they were serving uh, and worshiping uh, pagan gods. And so Elijah really said, all right, if God is God, follow him. If, he, if Baal is God, then go follow that pagan, but stop riding the fence. And so we really uh, were challenged last week to get off the fence and really truly begin to make a commitment to the Lord and begin to serve Him. And so many of you are doing that and walking and, and uh, you, you, you've taken that challenge. And um, today we want to continue this idea uh, as well. And uh, we really want to focus on the down and out zone. And so the down and out zone is, is that area when we are walking maybe with God or maybe we're far from God, but uh, we all kind of go through seasons where we're down, where we're out, uh, where we experience depression, uh, where emotionally we, we're, we're just drained. And, and so life happens. A lot of things in life, you know, that happen to us are unpleasant. Um, the day-to-day grind sometimes leads to this point, but inevitably everybody in this room has experienced the emotion of depression on some level at some time in their life. Statistics tell us that one out of every eight people in this room right now uh, are suffering from some, uh, some form of depression. And so it's very real and it's very uh, just kind of in our faces as a country. I think more and more people deal with it today. Um, you know, depression is more than just feeling sad, though. Uh, one person said that it, it, it's more than sadness. It's, it's more intense. It lasts longer and it significantly, significantly interferes with our day-to-day activities. And so being down or being sad is one thing, but, but, but having depression or feeling depressed um, is a little bit deeper. It's a little bit more severe. Uh, it affects our day-to-day life, and there are more things going on there uh, than just uh, simply uh, feeling uh, down uh, on one particular day. Um, it's the, d- depression is defined as feeling helplessness and hopelessness that leads to an intense sadness. And so definitely there, there is sadness, but there's a hopelessness, there's a helplessness that tends to follow that emotion. And in, our, our, in the life of Elijah today, what we're going to read, we're going to see that he, in fact, is right there. Um, he, in fact, is, is suffering and, and he is down, man, he is out. And uh, I believe God's going to show us some ways that we can, we can reverse that and, and get out. But I think it's, it's helpful for us to start w- by saying that, you know, if you are depressed today or, or maybe have gone through depression at some point in your life, that, that first of all, you know, you, you're not alone. I mean, statistically, um, they tell us that 35 million Americans are, are suffering from depression today. So that's a lot of people. 
You know, there, there are a lot of people in this room that, that are dealing with that on some level. We're all, you know, maybe, maybe some are, are more severe and maybe some are, are, are not as bad. But, but maybe on some level you come in and you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of going through that. And, and so let me just say you're not alone. And, and secondly, you're not necessarily sinful. Like as a, as a Christian, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to admit that we're depressed because we feel like, well, you know, we're always supposed to be happy, you know, when we follow Jesus, right? We're supposed to always be joyful and like have a smile and, and fake it, you know, right? And so, no, it's like, that's not it, you know, be real and honest. And, and so, you know, when, when I talk to people about, hey, how you're doing? And it's like, oh, I'm doing fine. It's like, man, I know what's going on. And you're telling me, you're, don't lie to me. I will call you out. Don't lie to me. You know, and so, uh, but we get in that habit of just saying, yeah, we're fine. And then we never talk about it. Why? Because we're, we're, we feel kind of ashamed. Like I shouldn't be sad. It's like, no. Matter of fact, some of the greatest men and women in the Bible actually suffered severely from depression. Let me give you a, a, a few hints and, and kind of remind you of some of these things. First of all, Moses, um, probably one of the, the greatest leader that Israel really ever had, single-handedly carried you know, them out of, uh, out of Egypt, out of bondage. And yet he went through a season of depression that was so severe that he wanted to die. In Numbers eleven fifteen, he says, If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. I mean, he, that, that's depression at its like most severe, right? Kill me now, Lord. I, I, I take my life. And so Moses spent time in down and out, okay? Down, down and, and, and depressed, but he wasn't the only one. You remember Jonah? Jonah, um, the one that was swallowed by the great fish, uh, God sent him to Nineveh. Uh, he got mad, didn't want to go. So he, he got tossed out of the boat into the, the, the great fish's mouth. And then he ends up going to Nineveh, finally preaching to Nineveh. They accept um, this, this teaching and they repent, they turn to God. Uh, but he did not necessarily enjoy the fact that they turned to God. And so he went through a very severe battle emotionally and psychologically. And so he, even he, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, he uh, asked God to kill him, basically. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So, I mean, let's just be honest, like in the Bible, we see men going, you know, through uh, seasons of depression. And so if you are in a season of depression today, you know, you're not alone. And in fact, you're in good company. And so we all go through that. But what I want to talk to you about today is, is like, yeah, that's normal. It's a part of life. The Bible even says that there's a time for mourning. You know, there's, there's, there's time for us where we should be sad and we should mourn and we should, you know, feel down. But I believe the Bible also teaches us that it's not a place that we should linger. So it's a place that we should mourn. There's a time for us to mourn. There's a time for us, you know, to, to go through those uh, emotions. And then at the same time, it's like we, we have to move out of that. And so when is that time? I mean, you know, I know what some people were thinking because you're like, you, you like answers. It's like, well, tell me, Trent, how long should I be, you know, how long should I be depressed? What's acceptable to when it crosses that line to when it's sin? And it's not that easy, you know. I mean, maybe it takes a long time to get over the death of a loved one. Or maybe it takes a long time to, to get over, you know, losing a job or, or things like that that really set us or kind of put us in a tailspin. Um, and so we don't, we don't really know how long that season is, but I would just challenge you today with this question. The question is not how long, Trent, um, it, 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 can I be like this? My question to you is how long do you want to stay like that? 
It's like, how long do you really want to be down and out? And how long do you want to live in that world? And, 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 and how much better would your life be if you began to reverse that by seeking the Lord in some various ways that we're going to talk about this morning? Because that really is the best question for you to answer. And so some of you are in that season and, and maybe, maybe a, a, you know, a significant other or something devastating has taken place recently. And so it's, it's for you, it's kind of it's very fresh and real. And maybe this season of mourning is, is kind of where you need to be, but God is teaching you through that. But maybe for some of us, like it's been a while, but, but what we've allowed, you know, a good season and time of mourning uh, to transition into is not only depression, but self-pity. And that's, my friends, that, that's where it really gets uh, a little kooky and a little, a, a little strange with our relationship with God. Because if we've transitioned from like, from like mourning and being depressed to now I'm just, you know, pitying myself and, and, and I'm blaming others and I'm negative and critical and I'm just going to live in this box of self-pity, then that's the, that's the cycle that you want to break and that's the cycle that you want to get out of. Uh, but depression is a very real uh, thing. Elijah here is going to show us he himself himself is battling it. And so let's read the first four verses of of chapter 19. Leave your Bibles open because we're going to go through bits and pieces of this entire chapter. But he says uh, in verse one, it says, Ahab told Jezebel, who's Ahab? The king, thank you very much. Uh, Jezebel is the uh, wife and she, remember every time we say the word Jezebel, it's like you get cringes because that's just, she's a bad woman, you know, she's just evil. And so Ahab goes back, he tells his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Mount Carmel was last week. Um, the, Elijah calls down fire for those of you who weren't here. And, and God answers him in fire. He's the true God. People turn to God. And uh, then he kills all the pagan uh, uh, priests. And so that's where we're at. And so Jezebel doesn't like it. And she says, and uh, how, uh, Ahab goes back and says, uh, how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Verse two, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. <laughs> In other words, you know what? <clears throat> I'm gonna kill you by this time tomorrow, bro. You better get ready. I'm coming for you, basically is what that means. My translation, verse three. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. So Elijah, I mean, Elijah is, is, is emotionally a train wreck right now. Like when you get to the point of where you want your life to be taken, that is depression at its most severe. Like when you are so hopeless and so helpless and nothing else matters, uh, in that state of mind, that's where he's at and, and that's what he is wrestling with right now. Um, they tell us that 25,000 people will commit suicide this year because they're depressed. Um, they tell us that statistically now, it's not just older people that deal with depression, but uh, a lot of younger people today, and then that percentage is growing rapidly, that deal with depression. So depression, some common symptoms, you guys know, it's feeling sadness, that kinda, that's kind of how it starts, hopelessness. Sometimes we can't sleep at night, maybe we're restless and, 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 and maybe kind of irritable. Um, there's a low self-esteem, maybe guilt that kind of follows some of that. 
Um, a lot of times an eating disorder begins to happen. Maybe you don't eat enough or maybe we overeat. Um, diminished ability to think or concentrate. There's a loss of interest in pleasure and things that gave you pleasure in the past. Things that activities and things that you like to do in the past. Now you don't like doing anymore. So you kind of lose that joy uh, for life and the things that you like. And it actually can even cause like chronic physical pain as well. And so like that pain in the neck, you know, we always say you're a pain in the neck. Sometimes that is brought on by you, like our emotional state. And so how we feel mentally oftentimes affects us physically. And so that's a very real scientific fact, like, like stress and that emotional state. So we have to be aware of that. Now, on some level, we're all going to say, man, I'm kind of hitting all those. Am I depressed? Oh, man, I need help. No, it's like, hang on. It's like if we were to go to the doctor and, and we had four or five of those things, they would probably say, all right, you're, you're dealing with some kind of depression today. And so um, I, I think if we, we're kind of hitting some of those from, from time to time, it doesn't mean we're depressed. So I don't want everybody to walk out thinking, I didn't think I was depressed, but now I think I'm depressed. Now I'm, now I'm I don't know what's wrong. So it's like, we you know, just chill out on that. But um, we all kind of deal with some of that. Uh, but I, but I think I think the phases kind of help us understand a little bit more. Let me, let me go through the phases as far as what psychologists tell us. It kind of starts out with sadness. So we're sad. Um, and then it kind of moves into an attitude. And the attitude is that nothing seems to matter. So when you begin to say, it doesn't matter if I go to work, it doesn't matter if I go to school, it doesn't matter, nothing seems to happen, even if I go, and, and we kind of go into that attitude, that's when we begin to slip into uh, a state of depression. And, and then that feeling of hopelessness and, and um, helplessness creep in. And so nothing's ever going to get better. You know, I, 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 I don't feel like I can do anything to change my situation. When those things begin to creep in and begin to overwhelm our, our mind and our attitude, then we know that we're beginning to deal with depression. There's an attitude of feeling that nothing is ever going to get better. And then there's this idea that nobody cares and nobody understands. And so if, you ever, if you've ever caught yourself saying, nobody cares and nobody understands me, it's like, well, watch out, be on guard. I think one of the most helpful things we can do today is identify like if we are struggling with some of these things. Um, because then once we identify that we are, then we can begin to do things to get us out. Uh, but the idea that nobody cares, maybe there's a sense of rejection, like nobody, you know, uh, in, Nobody is, is, is going to receive me. Nobody accepts me. And so uh, feeling this, this, this rejection, an emotion of I'd be better off dead or, or maybe even a desire to, to be dead. And, and so once we get to that, that's a severe um, uh, place to be in. And so we want to be very careful about that because obviously this is not where God wants us to, to be. I mean, I don't think God wants us to get to this place of, of, of this. I would be better off, you know, fill in the blank. And so this is where these guys are at. This is where Elijah is at. And so it's a, it's a very emotionally, just like intense time. But, but I think a good question at this point would be to ask why or, 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 you know, what causes it? Why do we get depressed? I mean, there, there, there's some reasons. I think there are some practical reasons, even in the story of Elijah here that I want to talk about uh, for us to identify like this is why we get depressed sometimes. And, and let me give you three ways that we get depressed if you're taking notes. The first cause is like we get physically worn out. So Elijah is physically worn out here. The Bible says here in, in the first couple of chapters, uh, first couple of verses that he was afraid and that he ran in verse three. So he runs and it's a day's journey into the wilderness. So Elijah is running marathon proportions to this town. Okay, so when he takes off and he runs, he's not eating. He's already been fasting. So physically he is spent by the time that he gets there. He's not eating. He's not had much to drink. He's been running. Um, he is um, uh, physically just worn 
out. And so anytime that you are like running around, like you are running and gunning, you're, you're to work, you're to kids practice, you know, you're eating on the run, you're, you're doing homework on the run, you're doing, you know, work in the car in between at the traffic light, you know, you're, so it's like we get to a point to where we can become a workaholic and, and, and if we're constantly working, you know, if we're constantly running, if we're constantly doing uh, and doing and doing and running and running, then we are setting ourselves up to embrace depression emotionally. Because listen, your bodies just can't physically take that. Your body was not meant to physically be able to take that toll upon you, like mentally and physically. And so sometimes we think, well, we can just do it. And, you know, it's just how I have to do it. And it's like, no. We have to be a good steward of the body that God has given to us. So, so a lot of times our diet goes out the door when we're running and gunning, you know, because we don't have time to eat well. So we're, we're at fast food places constantly. And, 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 and so our diet goes out the door. Our rest goes out the door because I got to stay up late to kind of finish this project. And then I've got to get up early to get the kids off or to do whatever, to get back to work. And so we can get in this cycle where we are running ourselves ragged and, and we even know it. And when you talk to people and you talk about your schedule, it's like, man, I, I, this pace is just killing us. And so it's like, yes, it, it really is. Like, seriously, it is killing you. And you are setting yourself up for uh, allowing depression to creep into your life because our bodies just can't take this. Now, you know, God created, you know, the world and everything in it in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. And so I think there's a pretty important principle there that we want to adopt into our own life. You need a day off. You need time where there is no practice, okay? Your kids, you know, they might be NFL stars one day. I get it. I, I'm, I hope it happens. But listen, you need a day off and so do they. You know, there's a reason why so many kids in high school are tearing their ACLs, okay? Their little bodies are not meant to go 12 months out of the year on the field or in the gym. It's just not. And so neither is your body. And so you mentally, you physically, you've got to have some time in your life to slow down. So really the, the most spiritual thing, and some of you are gonna love this, listen to this. The most spiritual and most godly thing some of you could do is take a vacation. Man, I like that pastor, man. I'm glad we came today. He's a good one. We should be coming here more. <clears throat> Seriously, the most, most godly thing some of you guys could do is take a day off. Leave your computer at work. Leave your iPad at work. Turn off your phone for a day. And some of you, and listen, I say that, and if you're a workaholic, you say, Psh, I, there's no way I could do that. You're a workaholic. Done. And don't want to hurt or offend you, but you're prideful too. Because if you think that you can't not work for one day, and by you not working, the world is going to shut down. The business is going to shut down if I don't do this and that. Then you're a little prideful, bro. It's time to check out a little bit. In 30 years from now, you're not going to care about this job. There's, there's only a couple things that are going to matter to you in 30 years, you know, as you get older and I, as I get older. And that's your family and that's your relationship with Jesus. That's it. That's all that you're going to really care about. This job is just, just the season of your life. Listen, you're not even always going to work there. You know, one day they're going to give you the watch and say, thanks, you know, but there's a younger, better looking guy that's going to take your place, you know, you know, so, so it's like, let's not take ourselves so seriously that we can't take a day off and allow our bodies 
to recuperate. You know, take some time off. Take a day. Go on vacation. Spend time with your family. Spend time away from the grind and allow God to restore you physically. Elijah, I think a part of his problem is he is physically just drained. But secondly, another thing that causes this is emotionally being drained. And so emotionally, he's lonely. He's in isolation. Emotionally, he's empty. Emotionally, he is just drained. Um, And so I think a lot of times, you know, there are really two reasons why we get emotionally drained. And the first reason is when we experience uh, some kind of loss. And so if there's a death in the family, if somebody gets sick and it's a serious sickness, if somebody loses a job, um, if some, you know, something, you know, really drastic happens, we lose something, then obviously that's going to put us in a tailspin, you know, and that, that's going to uh, emotionally just zap us. You know, and so, so that's normal and that's part of life. But we need to recognize that when we are zapped emotionally like that, like we, we're, we're, we're set up to, to sink into a season of depression. We've got to be aware of that. Um, and some of you are kind of there because of a loss. You would say, you know what, I am emotionally just zapped from this divorce or, or this bad thing that took place. And so, man, this is just kind of where I'm at. It's kind of setting me in this sadness and this season of depression. And the other thing that surprises us sometimes uh, is when we experience an emotional high. So sometimes it's the emotional high that leads to depression. Like everything is going great. Everything is wonderful. And yet we wake up and we're sad, you know? And, and I don't know really how that works, but it just, it, it, it's a truth that I think we've got to experience. Most pastors on Monday morning, it's just miserable for them. And so, so I, on Monday morning for our staff, it's like 9 a.m. We hit the ground running with our tactical meeting. We, we go at it because I don't want to like, you know, lay around and start thinking about Sunday because it was so great and grand. And then Monday's like this de- depressing time of like, ah. Uh. So sometimes um, I think we really see it like when we're married and guys, when, you know, when you have your, uh, you and your wife have your first baby, they, they, your wives are so excited, you know, nine months of being pregnant, you're getting the, uh, the room's ready, you're, 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 you know, having parties and people are buying you stuff and it's so exciting, it's so fun, you're, you're building cribs and you're painting walls and, and you're getting ready for the baby, right? And it's so exciting and then, you know, the, the day of the, you know, the baby comes and family comes, there's nurses and doctors and everybody's doting over you and telling you how beautiful everything, and it's just, just this emotional like, woo, like everything is awesome, baby, you know, is great and, and, then, and then you go home. And then, you know, if you're a guy, you're like, you know, I heard about that postpartum stuff, but, you know, you never really understood it until your wife had, had that first child, you know? And then it's like, you know, the, 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 the parents go home, the friends go home, everything is unwrapped, um, the baby is here, and you leave the hospital and you go home, you know? And a lot of women go through postpartum depression, and it's after that, that high, you know, this, this nine-month high, and now all of a sudden, boom, and that sometimes happens to us. I think for my wife, it was kind of the reality, like, there's nobody here but this guy that I'm married to. And that's depressing. You know, it's like, Trent, you're all that I got. It's like, ah, oh, man, that's really bad. I got no help. And so, you know, it's a serious thing, though. And a lot of women go through that, but, but after an emotional high. So, I mean, I think we have to be on our guard as well in those seasons of life as well. Um, but thirdly, third cause is when we're spiritually run down. And so when we are spiritually run down, in other words, we're not pursuing God. We're not hearing from God. We're not in God's word. We're, we, we're not in a small group, so we're not growing. I mean, when you are spiritually zapped, um, then you are a prime target for depression. 
And I'll just say this as well. Like the enemy wants you to be depressed and he wants you to stay depressed. Because he knows as long as you are depressed and you're focused on what you lost or what you're experiencing or what you're dealing with, then you're not going to fulfill what God is calling you to do today. And so as long as he can keep you, you know, stressed and, and, and focused on this depression, the better. And so spiritually keeping us from church, keeping us from small group, keeping us from engaging in a church is, 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 is exactly what the devil would want you to do. And so uh, that's where we have to be on our guard. I, I think spiritually he's run down as well. Like, like he has been running, um, like last chapter, he's calling fire down from heaven. But now in this, in this chapter, he's running for his life. What happened to the courage? What happened to the guy that was like, hey, you know, bring all these guys. And, and, he, and he was making fun of them and criticizing and fire's coming down. It's like now he's tucked tail and he is running. He has been spiritually zapped. Now in the Bible, there are a lot of guys, like I said, that experience depression. And I think there are some other uh, real emotions because of these three factors that play into it as well. I want to mention really quickly. Um, I think ultimately it was fear that led Elijah into this season of depression because he was afraid of, of his, for his life. And so fear has a way of gripping us and, and controlling us and it will lead us into a season of depression if we're not careful. Another emotion that triggers this is anger. Um, and I think it was anger that Jonah dealt with he was so angry at God that, that, that these people repented and, 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 and changed their life. And so that, that anger towards God really led him into this state of depression. And so some of us come in and we're like angry. We're angry at God. We're angry at this. And, and it's a very real pathway to depression. I think another um, uh, emotion is just stress. Because as I mentioned earlier, Moses was stressed. And because of that stress, I think a lot of that had to do with his depression. And then there's guilt. David was just overwhelmed by his guilt. He had sinned. And when he committed adultery, he had sinned. And because of that guilt, it led him down this path of just, of just depression and inwardly you know, beginning to pity himself. And so um, I think if there is guilt in your life and, 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 and maybe this depression was set on because of sin, then we've got to repent of sin and then receive God's forgiveness and then read about God's forgiveness and accept his forgiveness every day, realizing that, that through his blood, through the cross, that he actually does forgive us where we fail him. And we have to receive that into our life. And then I, I think also bitterness. Um, King Saul was bitter towards David um, and that led him to a season of depression in his life. So all these emotions can lead us down this pathway. We want to understand uh, why or how we got here. For some of you, you're like, I'm already with you, Trent. I'm there, or I was there, or, or here's the other thing. I know somebody that's there. So how do we reverse this? How do we, how do we get out of it? Let me give you three ways to overcome depression. Um, first and foremost, uh, physical refreshment. Physical refreshment. Look at verses five and six. So he asked God to kill him. <clears throat> He's ready for God to take his life away. And in verse five, it says, and he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at, at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in on the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. So what was God's answer to God take my life away, his depression? God's answer was to physically restore him. So take a nap, here's some food, here's some water. 
And, and, and so again, we go back to this idea of resting our bodies and mentally and physically um, taking care of ourselves. And so if, you are, if you're going through a season of depression, then I think first and foremost, your diet, your rest um, is, is, a, is a first step for you to get back on track with where God wants you to be today. It's so vital that we take care of this physical refreshment. Here's Elijah. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's stressed to the max. He's run. Um, he's, he's empty, like physically. And God says, take a nap. Here's some bread. Take another nap. <laughs> Here's some bread and water. Take another nap. And it's like once he gets up, now he can go into um, the next phase of what God wants him to do. But he had to take some time to, to refresh and, and to kind of gear himself back up in, in, in that strength once again. Um, I think um, this, is, this is exactly kind of ex- exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. Like he wants you to believe like they can't do without you at work. Like you can't take a day off. Like you like you're never going to get your diet right. Like it's never going to work. I mean, those are the thoughts that he wants you to understand and, and believe and, and take hold of, but that's not the case. I believe God would want you to experience physical refreshment today to clear your mind, take some time off, refocus on your, on your family and your bodies and allow that refreshment to take place. But second, the second way that we can overcome depression is not only physically, but we, we have to secondly rearrange our thought life. And so rearranging our thought life is huge. Hop on down to verse 10, because Elijah's thought life is like completely where a depressed person's uh, thoughts go. Look at verse 10. He said, uh, I've been very jealous for the Lord. Well, first of all, let's read verse 9. Sorry. Let's go to verse 9. He says, then, there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. He went to uh, the Mount Horeb where God had called him to go. And so there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> I love that. Like if you're reading the Bible and you're dealing with depression, you come to that statement, man, God can just speak to you. Like, what are you, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this state of depression and this, this idea of just self-pity? And so all you want to do is crawl into bed and, and pull the you know, shades down and you don't want to live life and you don't want... God's saying, what are you doing here? You know, it's time for you to, to, to do things differently. There's, there's much more that God would have you to do. Verse 10, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Here's where his thought life is. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. I mean, hello, do you not remember what has taken place? If you've been reading 1 Kings, you saw that we didn't have a chance to, to read about it. I didn't preach about it, but he resurrected a young boy who had died. So he laid over this young boy three times, prayed, and he was resurrected. So he came back to life. He is the guy that called the fire of God to come and consume the altar I mean, this is the guy who had seen more miracles than you and I have ever seen. And he saw them in the course of a few years. And here his only thoughts are, your people have torn down your idols. They've killed your prophets. And I'm the only one left. No, they're not. He's not the only one left. The whole nation just repented. The whole nation just turned. You know, they're, they're all worshiping God now. But where's his thought life? His thought life is all upon the negative. On the critical. 
He's thinking about all the bad things. He's forgetting about all the glory. He, how can you forget about the ravens bringing you food? That would have been the coolest story ever. Like birds just kept bringing me food. It was amazing. He's not, he's not concerned. He's taken a victory and he's turned it into a loss. And some of you guys know people like this. And if you're experiencing depression, you've got to recognize this in yourself. I mean, we, the way we explain it sometimes is the, the glass is half empty, right? Some people are the glass is half full. Others are the glass is half empty. And what that means is you always look at the negative. You look at the critical side. You know, your kids bring home A's, but one of them is an A minus. And instead of saying, wow, way to go. You got all A's. You say, oh man, all A's, but that one is an A minus. Oh man, that would have been great if they would have been all like clean A's and not the minus. That's like, I want to smack you. You know, it's like, if I was a kid, I'd be like, you know what, dad, I've got, I got something for you. No, it's, it's one of these things where if, if we don't recognize this in our minds, we'll never change. And some of you are just critical as the day is long. You know, you're just negative. It could be a great Sunday. It could be a great day at work. You go home from work and your wife or your, your spouse says, how was, how was work today? And your answer is always, it's all right. You never have a good day, do you? It's like, honestly, when's the last time you've come home and said, today was an awesome day? Let me tell you why. If you can't remember the last time that you said that, you might be critical and negative today. I mean, you have a choice, you know? You have a choice to see life through the lens of nothing is perfect and, and nothing, you know, there are so many critical things to complain about. Or you have the de- decision and choice to look at the positive side of what God is doing in your life. For Elijah, he's struggling with that because he's depressed and he's looking at all the negative. But, but you've got to rearrange your thought life so that you can begin to understand what God wants to do in your life today and what he is doing in your life today because he's working. He's doing all kinds of things around you. The hardest thing for you to understand right now might be he's everywhere doing all kinds of things and you gotta, you got to wake up and see it and recognize it. You've got to rearrange your thought life. God does the miraculous in the next section. He does the miraculous because, um, you know, oftentimes because our, our schedules are, are so jam-packed, because physically we're worn out, because our thought lives are negative, we miss what God is saying. We miss what God is speaking to us. So let's keep, let's keep reading. Um, verse 11, he says, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. We're going to see in just a few verses that he actually doesn't do that. He stays in the cave, but, he, but God tells him to go out and stand. And, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. So he's in a cave, and God comes in this big, strong wind, and it begins to tear the rocks and tear the mountain. And the Bible says, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. So an actual earthquake shakes the place. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the, fi- but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out, basically went out of the ca- uh, cave and stood at the entrance. And behold... There came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? 
You see, the miraculous was taking place. And so there was wind, there was fire, there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in. In other words, God wasn't speaking to him through the miraculous at this point. God wasn't speaking to him and he wasn't showing him what he wanted him to do or the next step for him or he wasn't giving him the answers to why all the things that had happened to him or that had happened to his family. He didn't give him those answers. I'm sure he was seeking them. But in the miraculous of the fire and the wind and the earthquake, God didn't speak. Where God spoke to him is in the whisper, in a low, soft voice. You see, sometimes we just beg God for the miracle. Speak to me in the earthquake and the clouds, write it on the chalkboard. Give me a sign, God. He wants to speak to us in a soft, small whisper. And see, with our culture and with your schedule and with the noise that you have in your life, oftentimes it is hard, almost impossible to hear the voice of God in your life. It's time for some of you to kind of gear down so that you can hear from him. Some of you are longing to hear from him. You're longing to know what the next step is. And, and, and maybe God is even asking you today, what are you doing here? In other words, like in your season of life right now, what are you doing? Why, why are you running this rat race? Why are you focusing on everything negative around you and forgetting to see the, the work and hand of God all over this place? He has much to do in you and through you. And I think the next thing that he shows us here as we keep reading is that he has something for each of us today. If you're taking notes, number three, to get us out of depression, he engages us in the mission of God. He engages us in the mission of God. Hop on down to verse 15. After he speaks to him in the whisper, this is, what he's, this is what he tells him. Verse 15, he says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahala, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. In other words, get up, get out of this cave, go anoint two kings, and go anoint Elisha to be the next prophet after you. In other words, I've got something for you to do. I got something for you to do, Elijah. And you better get up out of the cave, quit, quit digging a hole and putting your head in it, get out of bed, get the covers off, open the shades, enjoy the spring weather. Like God has something for you to do today. God has something planned for you to do this year. And so if you're too busy running around doing your deal that you miss the, the voice and whisper of God, you're going to miss the opportunity to engage the mission of God which is going to continue to cycle you in this season of depression. And I believe God wants you to get out of it. I believe that if you would refresh physically, that you would rearrange your thought life, and if you would engage in the mission of God, He would transform your life. And it would get you out of that depression. It would get you out of this funk that you're in and allow God to do incredible things in your life. But, but you can't stay down. You've got to get up. 
You can't stay in, in, in the cave. You can't stay in the darkness. You've got to get up and, and engage back in the world. You can't give in. You can't give up. You've got to engage relationally. A lot of times what we want to do in, in a season of depression is, is isolate ourselves. But all throughout this Bible, you see that we are called to be in relationships with other men and women. And so if you are not in significant relationships with other believers, you are missing the things that God can and will do in your life. And it's time for you to engage. If you're not in ministry, it's time for you to engage on some level. You're the best thing to do in order to get out of a, a, a self-pity and, and, and out of an inward-focused life is, is to go feed the homeless, to go serve kids, to go serve families, to serve in ministry on Sunday, to get out of yourself and begin to see that there's a big world out there and there's a lot of needs and there's a lot more people out there who are a lot worse off than you are that need Jesus. And if we truly have Jesus, then we do have a hope. I want to, uh, to maybe just listen, or you can turn to Psalm 30. Probably one of the best chapters in the book of Psalm on depression. Like, and, and you guys got to remember, the guy that writes this is, is David, who had committed adultery, uh, committed murder, um, lost his kingdom, lost his, his family because they all spiral into sin as a result of his sin. And so here's what he says, because he definitely went through some seasons of depression in his life to where he wanted his life to end as well. But David gets, to, gets through this and he says this in verse 1, chapter 3. He says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. In other words, I'm up, man. I, I'm not in the pit any longer. And I've not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. Like if, if, if we're going to ever get out of a, of, of a season of depression, if we're ever going to overcome any, <clears throat> any emotion in our life, it's going to first come when we cry out for help from God because He heals. Verse 3, O Lord, You have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. So He was in the pit, man. He was down. He was out. His life as He knew it, He felt was over. He had no reason left to live. But he says this, verse 4, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You know, Jesus Christ is our hope. Through him, joy comes in the morning. No matter who you've lost, no matter what you've lost, no matter what you're dealing with today, like through Jesus, his death on the cross by receiving him into our life, first and foremost, understanding that that was a sacrifice for me, like that I paid, that, that I should have paid, but that he paid for me. And when I receive him into my life, when I ask him to forgive me of my sins, then there is an overwhelming joy that comes into my life. It's a joy that sometimes gets rocked and sometimes gets squeezed out of my life because I get critical and negative and because I allow depression to overwhelm my mind. But as I seek the Lord, as I live with Him, as I follow Him, then no matter what I go to bed dealing with, man, joy comes in the morning for those who seek the Lord today. So no matter where you're at today, no matter how much you've lost, no matter what you've experienced, God doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to get out and get engaged in the mission of God. That's what's going to pull you out. Hey, he's got something for you to do. Elijah had more to do. 
We're going to see the, the final things that he had planned for Elijah next week. But God has more for you to do today. He has more for you to do this year. No matter who you've lost, no matter what you have struggled with, God has more for you to do today. And I want you to accept that and leave today knowing that if you hold on to him, he always holds on to us and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Oh,